I'm about to answer three questions on playing over pairs versus a potential set, donk betting, and handling those tough opponents. It's study time, y'all. Welcome to Smart Poker Study. I'm your coach, Sky Matsuhashi. Let's get you learning and taking action. Alrighty, well, last week's episode number 372, that was all about setting smart poker goals, and I gave you my poker goal for January and February. But you know how they say that no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Well, last week, I did my Thursday and Friday one-hour session during lunch, and it went well. I played the requisite number of hands, like I need to hit 500 per week. I played roughly 625, so that worked out really well. But I really don't like um, clumping my play days right there next to each other, Thursday, Friday. That means the other five days of the week, I'm not playing at all, right? And in order to build your skills, I truly believe that you need to put the time in but you don't want to clump everything together. Just imagine if you were, I don't know, if you were um, a runner, right? And, and you loved running and you wanted to run 10 miles per week over five days. Two miles each of those five days, that seems like that's going to be a lot better for your improvement. You're going to get faster. You have more re- recovery time at just two miles. Instead of doing on Monday, 10 miles. Wait a full week. Don't do any running at all. The next Monday, 10 miles again. Wait a full week, no running whatsoever, not improving your skills on the other days, but next Monday, 10 miles again. So I decided to switch up my poker play. Now I'm doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday for 45 minutes at lunch. So instead of two hours a week, it is a little bit over that two hours per week, but I'm spreading it out more. So I'm getting in more practice time like that. And I think this is so much better. I did it this past Monday and Wednesday, and I really like spreading the days out. So next week, I'll give you another update to see how this first week of Monday, Wednesday, Friday went. All right, that's enough out of me, though, on my poker goals. I hope your poker goals for uh, 2021, for January, for the first two weeks, however you set your goals, I hope they're going well for you. And in order to help you out even more, I've got three questions on the docket today. So let's get to those. You may want to follow along in the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod373, because I got screenshots and a video posted right there for you. Okay, let's do it. Gambate! Woohoo! I'm a college man! I won't need my high school diploma anymore! I am too smart! I am too smart! I am too smart! I am too smart! SMRT! I mean SMART! The first question is about playing over pairs versus a set, and it comes to us from LTU Maximus. Here's his question Hey, Sky, here's a tough situation. I have pocket queens under the gun, and I opened to three and a half big blinds. The ABC tag villain in the cutoff is the only caller. The flop comes two of clubs, four of clubs, eight of hearts. The pot is 8.5 big blinds. I see bet five and a half big blinds, and the villain calls. The pot's now 19.5 big blinds, and the turn brings a six of hearts. So the board is two of clubs, four of clubs, Eight of hearts, six of hearts. I see bet 13 big blinds into the 19.5 big blind pot, and the villain calls. The pot's now 35.5 big blinds on the river, and the jack of clubs hits. 
So the final board is two, four, eight, six, jack with three clubs. So what now? Should I check and call depending on how much the villain bets? Should I see bet the river and fold after he goes all in? This is a very hard but very common spot. Bad regs, they re-raise you post-flop on the turn or on the flop, but good regs, they just call you till the river and then they re-raise. Most of the time, they have sets. And in this case, villain held pocket eights. Good for him. How are you playing in situations like this? What is the quickest way to know a villain has a set? All right, thanks for this question, LTU Maximus. Now, once again, go to the show notes page so you can follow along with the action, but I also did a little Flopzilla Pro uh, analysis of this hand. So to answer the question, what now, you know, on the river that Jack of Clubs comes, what now, should I check, should I bet? Uh, Let's think about the player that you're up against in the hand. So you said that he's a ABC tight aggressive player, which means they play very straightforward and they probably only call post-flop with good hands and strong draws. And that deuce for eight flop with a couple of clubs, plenty of good hands, plenty of draws they can have, right? So let's think about this. Like I said, show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod 273 for some Flopzilla uh, uh, screenshots here. So what is a player like this calling on the flop and the turn when the board is 2486? So if we look at this opponent's calling range, first I gave them a very tight 8% calling range, which is just pocket jacks through deuces, the best broadways, pseudo connectors 9-8 and better, and ace-queen offsuit. Like, it's a really tight range, and we gotta think about it. He called an under-the-gun raise of 3.5 big blinds from the cutoff. There were still three players left to act, button, small blind, and a big blind, and it was an under-the-gun raiser. An ABC tight aggressive player is going to see that under the gun raise and put some good strength behind it. So it's a very tight calling range. And you can see in the Flopzilla screenshot right here that I gave LTU Maximus the Queen of Diamonds and Queen of Spades. I did not include the Queen of Clubs. In order to narrow your villain's flop and turn calling range, we have to use poker's ultimate question. Do you know what that is? Here it is. What's he doing this with? In order to answer the question, what is he calling us on the flop and turn with, we have to consider his player type and tendencies, your bet size, his position, and the board cards at the time. The way I ran this in Flopzilla, as the board cards were dealt and villain's range gets narrowed, like, because he's calling, we can remove some of the weakest hands from his range, right? Your equity in the hand, it steadily decreased. You had 76% preflop equity. 70% on the flop, 67% on the turn, and then finally, only 37.5% on that river versus his potential calling range of your river bet. The only hand you're getting value from on the river. Remember, that board was once again deuce, four, eight, six, jack. Your opponent called big bets on the flop and turn. If you triple barrel, the only hand you're getting value from are the 12 combinations of pocket 10s and pocket 9s. He has 5 flush combinations, 15 combos of sets. They're all beating you, and he's going to call with those or re-raise potentially. And he's only folding his 8 weaker pairs by that river. So I think the best play is to check and then call a small bet, especially if it smells like a weak bluff attempt or just a weak value attempt with like a river jack or something, right? Or 
You can fold to a larger bet, check and then fold to a larger bet, which would indicate that he has a, a really good set or a flush. So to go off on that a little bit further, uh, you also asked the question, what's the quickest way to know a villain has a set? What you want to do is look for uncharacteristic aggression, like check calling your flop c-bet and then check raising 3x on the turn. Now, that doesn't mean he always has the set, but that's a pretty good indication, right? That uncharacteristic aggression from a tight aggressive player, they generally only check raise with a really strong hand. Now, in this hand example, they continued in a spot where they would normally fold. He's an ABC tag player. Deuce 4 8 board. If he had King Queen, a couple overcards, he's probably just going to fold without the flush draw, obviously, right? So, you always want to put your opponent on a range of hands, and if that range does not interact well with the board, but he's calling your one-half, your two-thirds, your three-quarter pot bets. He likes his hand, and you have to put sets in his range. It could just be top pair, could be a flush draw, could be a flush draw plus an open-ender, but still, sets are possible. All right, thanks for that question, LTU Maximus. That takes us to question number two about donk betting strategies. Now, Danilo sent me an email, and he said this. Not sure if you covered this already, but one question I have is about when is a good spot to donk bet against a preflop raiser? And when you raise and someone donk bets into you, what do they usually have? So two donk betting uh, uh, sides of the coin right here. So first, let's talk about when you should donk bet, Danilo. You have to ask yourself three questions. And I learned these questions from Alex Fitzgerald from a webinar he taught a long time ago about donk betting. If the answer to all of these questions is no, then donk leading is a good idea. Here's the first question. Is my hand good enough to check call? Now, a hand good enough to check call would be like flopping a pair and your opponent could be c-betting worse hands. Maybe you have a solid draw, or maybe you flopped a monster and you don't want to raise yet. So if any of those is the case, go ahead and make that play instead. But if no, if it's not good enough to check call, ask the second question. Is my hand good enough to check raise? So if you flop a set, totally good enough to check raise to try to get extra value. And now the last question. Is my hand bad enough to check fold? This is like flopping absolutely nothing, and there's no reason in the world for you to continue in the hand. So like I said, if the answer to all these questions is no, then donk betting is a good idea. And in the show notes page for today, I have a video about donk betting, and it's donk semi-bluffing. I was in a hand where I flopped a flush draw, I donk bet the flop, donk bet the turn, hit my draw on the river, and then uh, value bet that river. So I triple barrel donk bet into my opponent's really good hand history review. And I discuss all of these questions, asking and answering them right there to, to, to decide whether or not you should be donk betting. So the second part of his question is, what do my opponents have when they donk bet? Now, your opponents, they don't often put a lot of thought into their donk bets. Some, they're going to bluff at scary boards like ace high and monotone boards, or maybe even like baby card boards, right? Deuce four eight, something like that. They assume your preflop raising range totally missed, so they're going to put a donk bet just to try to take it down right now. Other opponents only donk bet when they flop a really strong hand and they don't want you to check behind. Now, it's critical that you pay attention to showdowns and you have to take a player note whenever you see a donk bet 
get to showdown because now you saw the exact hand strength that they donk bet with. And if you replay the, the hand, you get to see the sizing that they used. And that sizing could clue you into what they're donk betting with. Um, you know, as, as you pay attention and look at these sizes and see more showdowns over time. But in general, tiny donk bets, one or two big blinds or one quarter pot, they're often done with weak draws and with weak pairs because they don't want to check call something bigger, right? They're, they're trying to set their own price to see the turn card. And larger donk bets, half pot, two thirds, three quarter pot, those are often for value with uh, just like a strong top pair, a set, and they don't want you to check behind. Maybe it's a wet board. They flop two pair and they don't want you to just check and catch a free straight or a free draw on the turn, right? Or they have really good draws. They've got the nut flush draw plus an open end or something like that. All right, question number three comes to us from Sen, and it's about handling tough opponents. He says, I feel like I'm getting bluffed a lot, and my opponents are putting me to very tough decisions. Do you have any positive advice for someone getting disillusioned and feeling frustrated with tough opponents? I play in card rooms where the cards are dealt out of an electronic machine, so no dealer, and we get dealt about 50 hands per hour. Most of the player pool is grinders since recreational players don't trust the CPU, so the caliber of competition is tough. Should I transition to online? I've been playing live poker for about four years now. Thanks for your time and advice. A really important and critical aspect of profitable poker is uh, game selection, table, seat selection, all of those. Because you're at a live, you know, you play live, card rooms full of fish are wonderful, but if they're full of sharks, not so much, right? You need to find another fishing hole, whether that's another card room, maybe a bar league, or a casino, just another casino in your area. Now, if you play mostly cash games, then table and seat selection in the live realm are pretty easy, unless there's only one table going. Table selection is easy, you just request a table change, right? And for a seat change, if there's players on your direct left who are giving you a hard time, they're three-betting you a lot, whatever they're doing, they call you in position and they bet when you check post-flop, as soon as the seat opens up to their left, move there right away. Just request that seat change. Now, if you are a tournament player, you cannot table and you cannot seat select, but you can select the tournaments that you plan. That monthly $250 buy-in tournament on the first Sunday of every month, for example, that might have plenty of good players because it's $250 to buy in. But that nightly $70 tournament, not so many good players, you might want to play in that instead. Now, lastly, here's something that a lot of people don't think about. There's always opponent selection. So whether you're playing cash games or tournaments, it doesn't matter. When you enter the hand, you know who is potentially going to be your opponent. So before you call preflop with Jack-9 suited, do you just look at your hand and decide to call? Or are you taking into consideration who the open raiser is? Maybe their position, their bet size, their stack size. Are you also looking at the players left to act to see if there are three bet squeezers still in? Let's say you just called in the cutoff with Jack-9 suited. Well then, the button, small blind and big blind, you just showed weakness by calling and you sweetened the pot by putting out two, three, four, five big blinds, whatever your call was. Now they have a greater incentive to three bet squeeze you. So if they're an aggressive player, uh, naturally, you just opened up that aggression or you just opened yourself up to facing that aggression, putting yourself in those tough spots. 
So if you practice making better uh, selections, whether it's game selection, seat selection, table selection, or opponent selection, you're going to find poker to be way more enjoyable and way more profitable. Now, here's an interesting idea, San. You talked about your opponents putting you in tough spots. What I want you to do every session that you play, start taking notes of these tough decisions or tough spots that you have. You want to record the details of the hand so that you can review them later at home using Flopzilla Pro, Equilab, something like that to look at equities and ranges and everything. Um, But also consider what put you in that tough spot. Did you call with Jack Knight suited in the cutoff when there were three aggressive players left to act? Did you three-bet against the tight player who open-raised under the gun, and you three-bet with ace-jack suited? Right? There, there could be things that you are doing, allowing your opponents to put you in tough spots, or I guess maybe the way I should say it is your actions are maybe putting yourself in those tough spots, and because you put yourself there, your opponents are just smart enough to recognize, hey, I can roll all over this send, dude. So the flip side of this... Um, because you're taking note of all these tough spots, you can put your opponents in these exact same positions. So if we just flip that coin right there, you know what makes poker tough on you. Use that same logic to make poker tough on your opponents. So when they call in the cutoff and they probably have a weak hand and you're right next to act on the button, three bets squeeze them. When somebody open raises a ton in the MP and you're in the cutoff and you don't have any three betters behind still to act, go ahead and call with the plan of, hey, as soon as this guy checks on the flop or makes a tiny little bluffing, uh, bluff-looking C-bet, I'm going to bluff him off by raising or betting when he checks. All right, and the last part of your question, you said, should I transition to online poker? Now, when you say transition, that sounds like just making a full change, ditching the live realm, going online. And I do not recommend a full transition, but you absolutely should be playing online. Online poker requires a smaller bankroll. It's easier to practice your selection skills, the the game, table, seat, opponent selection. You can play in more tables at once. You can practice all these different strategies that you're learning off the felt. And with something like Poker Tracker 4, and these tough spots or tough situations, you can really develop a database of hands, hundreds of thousands of hands. You can filter for that tough spot, really learn from it, figure out what is making it so tough on you, and then improve your strategies in those tough spots, but also improve your exploits of your opponents in those tough spots. All right, a couple little shout-outs today. I have to thank Werner Tashner and Ian Crotty for picking up my brand-new one-hour poker study workbook. They went to smartpokerstudy.com slash pokerstudyworkbook, and in one hour, it's, it's an actual workbook where I guide you through seven different sections. Within one hour, you will get your poker studies on track for 2022. Wow, this is the perfect time to improve those study skills. Get started uh, working on your game the right way off the felt with the one-hour poker study workbook. You can get it by going to smartpokerstudy.com slash pokerstudyworkbook. Alrighty, poker peeps, your learning is not complete until you go to the show notes page. 
smartpokerstudy.com slash pod373. You can follow along with everything that I just uh, shared with you in the podcast. Check out that Flopzilla analysis. Watch that video about donk betting. All that stuff right there in the show notes page. And whatever your goals are for 2022, thepokerforge.com will help you turn yourself into the player that you want to be. Pokerforge.com, it's my one-of-a-kind training website where I combine strategy, action steps, quizzes, play demonstrations. I do that like no other with nine masterclass courses that teach you all the strategies that you need for a successful 2022. So go to thepokerforge.com right now for more info and to sign up today. And until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be.